Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome along to the Rocky Road Rewind, where we'll be looking back at some of the forgotten and some unforgettable moments to have ever taken place in the ring. I'm Kevin Byrne, and on this week's show, I'm delighted to be joined by former Commonwealth and WBO World Welterweight Champion, Eamon Lochran, and his Hall of Fame promoter, Barry Hearn. Welcome to the show, guys. Barry, you were inducted to the International Boxing Hall of Fame in 2014, having guided the careers of multiple world champions, and uh, Eamon was one of your first, is that correct? Yeah, he was. He was one of the first, and uh, he gave, gave me a lot of fun. And he was a strange boy. He was a very strange boy when he was younger because he was an Irish boy taken out of his uh, back, his comfortable background, stuck in training camps all the time. But he had that, you know, he had that special quality. I mean, he could fight. He could properly fight. And uh, so, Eamon, you were taken out of you're taken out of Ballymena. Brought to Romford, brought to the matchroom gym, is that correct? Or how did it all work for you that you went to went to base yourself in the UK? The very first time I was brought I brought to Romford in a limousine with a guy called is it Robo? Who was he was Robo. a chauffeur driver? And I met yeah. uh, we went in the office that very day and we met Barry Hearn. So we did, and uh, I remember saying to Barry, Mister Hearn, Mister Hearn, and it's the first thing it was what made me very comfortable in his company was he says, "Don't be calling me Mister, I'm Barry." And you're aiming, which was very nice. You know, what I mean, that was that was you know just brought us down to the you know he wanted the same level. So he did, and he says, "Call me Barry. I'm Barry. So I'm. Um, and if you need anything, I'm in the office next door to you. Come around and see me. I know what it's like being away from home. So it made me very comfortable to it. That you know, then I went over to the gym, the matchroom gym, and then the results. So the the snooker was up above, and uh, I got to meet some fantastic guy, Steve Davis. He introduced me to Steve Davis. Some all the stories I have. I spent six years, believe it or not, Barry there. Was it six years? Wow! I can't believe that. Six years. On, over the course of time, it's back home and forward, but yeah, all of the six years. So it was, and uh, I have to say, it was the most amazing time of my life. So it was. And you, it was were, you, you were, you were, you were so much fun, Ivan, because you were like a, a kid from Palomina. Suddenly. You know, you had a good amateur pedigree. You could fight. You know, you weren't frightened. You you had a little nasty bit in you as well, which which you need. You can't be. You know, if you can't be nice and be a boxer, you had a a bit of viciousness in you. So you didn't mess about when you were sparring. You made every day count. You lived like a pro. To be fair to you, you know, you did sacrifice. You didn't go out on the town like 
some of the boys did. You know, you you was a professional fighter. And the thing that always made me laugh about you, because you was earning good money. I mean, if you convert what you was earning in today's terms, it was a huge amount of money. No, but good luck to you. And you remember you used to come and see me every Friday before you fight and used to say, can I be paid now? Now, normally... <laughs> Normally, I would never pay a boxer before he's fought because things can go wrong. There can be medical issues. There can be pullouts. But you used to say to me, it makes me feel better if I've got He said, I won't pay my check in, but can I have my check? And we used to give him what was, you know, these were, I won't go into the exact number, but it was big numbers for those days, huge numbers. And I used to give him a check on a Friday, and he used to wear this bubble hat and he used to put the check inside his hat. <laughs> so on the Friday and the Saturday before the fight, he'd be walking around with his paycheck in his head, so to speak. And that, that was that was Eamon. All he wanted to know was, who am I fighting? When am I fighting? How much am I getting? And when can I fight next? It was absolutely black and white. And that's, it made him, listen, he wasn't, and I, I've told Eamon this, he was a very good world champion. Not quite legendary, but in his own mind, legendary. He didn't have the, what I would have loved to have given Eamon was that big, big fight in Ireland, you know, in Ballymena Football Club or something. If he was with Eddie today, the way that boxing's gone, Eamon Loughran would be looking at big fights in his hometown because that, that's how you promote these days. But he still got into some massive shows, and he, he he was always uncomplicated. He just wanted to get in there, bash someone up, get paid, go home for a couple of weeks, come back, and that's what he did for six years. Amazing. Yeah, that that that, that was good. So it was, boy, because you know, uh, uh, yep, uh, you looked after me, and one of the things to this day, I've reared my two children, and that's down to. Us working again as a team, so it is. You know, I, I have two children and they're rare now, so they are. And that's how the boxing, so it is. I've looked after. Yeah. But it, it, it was also, you know, you paid us who you did, boy, but you sat us down and you I, you got us a guy, a guy came in and he set up a pension for us, so you did. Yeah. And you also told us, have you bought, what have you done with your money? You know, and you, you took an interest outside of, you know, because a lot of guys who pay you, they say, well, we don't care what you do. You do your own thing or whatever. And yeah. as you know, in boxing, there's a lot of guys, they buy big cars, houses, and before it's all, yeah. Yeah. Before five years, it's all gone. But you made a point of saying to us, listen, and you pointed out guys that done that, they lived their own way. And that was one of the things that stuck with me. So it was, you always give good advice to you, and you says, look, make sure you buy a house. One of the things when you look back over your career, the outside the ring and you in the ring is you look at people that have gone through your life and you ask yourself whether they could have done better uh, or you could have done better for them or where did it go right where did, you know especially as you get older you know you're looking you know you get a bit more reflective on people that you see in the street now, and the question is would you walk on the same pavement or would you cross the road not to see them? and if they've disappointed you you'd cross the road, and if they were straight and honest, you'd stay on the same road and you'd exchange a smile. That's really what you aim for. But part of that process is looking at them and seeing, firstly, people don't understand how dangerous boxing is. It's a very dangerous sport. 
No one has put a pair of gloves on that hasn't been damaged in some way or the other. In some small way, perhaps, or a big way. The risk is there every day you go in the gym and every day you go in a fight. Those little gloves can hurt, you know? Those, little, those gloves, you know, they can hurt. And you will get damaged. But so therefore it follows that you must have something out of that. And in your career, when you've seen people make a lot of money and lose it, I look on that personally as a criticism of me, not the fighter. I think my job is part and parcel saying, go and pay for your house. You know, and because I'm a working class bloke myself, I've got the same intellect. I mean, I've done all right. I've made quite a lot of money. <laughs> but you've still got that thing in you. You don't want anyone to take anything off you. You know, <laughs> you, you want to be, you know, why, why am I still working at 72? Because I'm enjoying it. But also, I like things. I like things. I don't need it. I don't need anything. But it's a, when you look at your life, I look at my life, we look at what's around us, family, assets, and we judge ourselves. Have we passed the test? We've got two tests to pass. We've always got God's test to pass of being a decent person. That's number one. Okay. Number two is to make sure that we play by the rules and we won. And it's not just winning fights, it's winning fights in life as well. You know, with you, I get pleasure at more. More pleasure I get out of you is seeing what you've done with your life after boxing than you ever did when you were boxing. And other people in that camp, you know, people like, you remember Stevie Roberts? You know, he never earned the money you earned. But I told him, put a few quid away, pay off your mortgage. He's gone back to being an electrician. But his life is comfortable. His house is paid for. And that's, you know, most people, not, not the superstars, most people, they can pay for their house in their lifetime. They're a success, aren't they? And they can leave that house to their children. That's a success. And you've gone a stage further because you used your money wisely. And that's a, by doing that, it's a compliment to me, if you follow me. I take a lot of pleasure in seeing people utilise their success because I think that's good for boxing, I think it's good for the image of the sport, it's obviously good for the individual, but it's, it, it makes me sleep at night. <laughs> well, Barry, yeah. can I say this to you? See the first time I boxed for you in the Costa, uh, Costa del Sol in Spain? Yeah. This is the story, I don't know if you remember this, and you asked me, we were back in the hotel and we were we were in the casino, and you says, can we play the, the roulette table together? Yeah, I remember, I remember this. And I and I uh, I was the one at one, but you gave me the chips. It was your chips I was playing with, and we won over two and a half thousand pounds. So we did. Right. Yeah. You, you gave me half of the chips, which was about fifteen hundred pounds. And I looked at you and I says, "Am I getting paid for my fight?" And you says, "Yes, you're getting paid. Come on and see me on Monday morning." And I thought that was beautiful. So that you know, that <laughs> there you are. You didn't have to give me that. So you didn't half of the winnings. It was your winnings. I was only there as a partner remember, it was the game it was the game because i looked at your i remember your face you said you come out and there's no way Eamon Loughran, as a bloke ever was going to risk a 10 pound note you just <laughs> didn't have that in you, no, no, if you could, that's a, you're a gambler and i was seeing your face playing with my chips you were loving it but you was loving it especially because it weren't your money. So you had upside and no downside. I don't know well. We're a team, you know. When we go, when you go in the ring, I don't get it in the face. 
Mm-hmm. You get hit in the face. That's when you do your job. My job is just to keep you happy, make sure you're in the best shape you can be, and then get the opportunity. That's all I've got to do. Mm-hmm. Amen. Eamon, prior to winning the world title, you had a couple of uh, couple of notable fights. You beat Glenn Rhodes at White Hart Lane on the uh, Eubank Watson card. That must have been a great opportunity to fight on that bill. But then you knocked out Donovan Boucher in Doncaster to win the Commonwealth title and underline your world credentials. What do you recall from those outings and how did they set you up? Uh, the, the the night in uh, White Hart Lane was uh, a beat Glenn Rhodes. So it was. And it was my first time ever boxing outdoors. So it was. In front of, I, I guess, probably 30,000 average, but I'd say there'd been 30,000 there. And it was a fantastic night. I won well, so it did. I think I won every round. It was a comfortable win, so it was. And come back in to the changing rooms, and then getting back out again to watch the big fight, which was Eubanks uh, Watson, which was one of those historical fights. You know, it was an absolute cracking fight, so it was. And Eubanks won, and we know what happened after it. But I remember also that night meeting Paul Gascoigne. Barry introduced me to all the, all the fighters through that, and uh, and and I met Paul Gascoigne, um, Gary Lineker. Those were two of the two of the guys that I met, and, and a lot of other footballers from Tottenham were there too. So it was so it was fantastic. It was a fantastic experience. But the real fight was against Donovan Boucher. That was the one that opened up the doors for me. He had come to Britain on four or five occasions, and he had beat. Gary Jacobs, he had beat Curtin Lang, he beat Mickey Hughes, and uh, I was sort of given the fight, I think at three or four weeks' notice, but I had been fighting prior, always always in shape, always kept myself ready, and I took the fight with, I think it was about four weeks' notice, so it was, and uh, and the bookies and, the, and the, the pundits, they had bet it against me so they had that I wouldn't have had much of a chance against this guy because in fairness now he was up at a level, world class level, and I hadn't been I hadn't really been tested at that level. And it was uh it was a great comp I had before it so I did. Uh trained really hard so I did and done everything right, leading up to it, made the weight perfectly and on the day it was a great it was a great day so it was knocked him out in the third round and I think Barry and Freddie and the whole team we all came together. Great night, unbelievable. Yeah, well, that was your that was your moment. Now we always said it's a little red button on, on our desk. Every now and again in a fighter's career, you have to find out what have I got? What have I got here? You know, you look at someone like you, I would say, nice kid, you know, comes over from Ireland, good reputation, behaves himself, all those are ticks. But really, I've got to find out what I've got. And Donovan Boucher was a massive, you're underplayed, it was a massive step up. From anyone you'd thought. Boucher was a real world class operator. And if you were going to be any good to us and to yourself, he was the type of fighter you had to show that you could get past. But it was, it, but it, those type of fights often go wrong. Didn't you? Uh, was it Tony UK? Didn't you? Well, yeah. That was yeah. a good you, 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 See, that, 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 was a, that was a step up in class a little bit early for you, really. Mm-hmm. And we found out about that. But that's part of the learning journey of boxing. You know, you have to have these. And sometimes you have to have a setback to go forward. I know it sounds crazy, but you need sometimes to learn. And you can't learn just by bashing up people that are way below you in quality. Eventually it gets boring. It's quite nice for you because you have an easy night out. You know, you'd always be happier with that. But you know what? You have to pay the price in boxing, don't you? I mean, again, the yeah. day... 
it's changed now with this COVID-19, Amy. All the fights are tough now. All the fights are tough. There's no warm-up fights because there's not a lot of shows. There's no live crowds. It's all TV. So TV says, you know, you say to TV, I'm going to give him a warm-up fight. They laugh you out of the room. So can't have warm-up fights. You know, you, yeah. you look at Eddie's cards in our back on, starting on August the 1st, they're all 50-50 wars. Wars. I mean, Brilliant. wars. Brilliant for us as a fan. Not so good for the boxers. Yeah, but, but that's the same with your career. You know, you came over, it's a fight here. Thing. But you've got to remember, you're very famous for one, well, one reason you're very famous, because I was in your corner twice myself. I've only been in the corner, I think, three times in my whole career. And two of those were for Eamon Lothram fights. One was in Germany, and I forget where the other one was. Might have both been in Germany, but... Both in, both in Germany. Both in Germany. But I remember yeah, the first go. one, Amy, you know you know how you and you know your every fighter's nervous before they get in the ring. You weren't as nervous as I was. Because <laughs> I'd never done that before. I'd never done I've never I'm not a trainer. I'm not a cut member. We had no something couldn't happen. And it was a relatively straightforward fight. They said, as you'll have to you'll have to go out with Lothram. And I've I always remember I'm thinking, what do I do? I mean, I'm quite good at smearing a little bit of Vaseline on the eyes. I can do that. I've been punched in the face a couple of times myself, so I'm quite used to that. But then Eamon's looking at me because he's a kid, really, and you don't realise he's a kid and I'm responsible and the pressure mounts. And I looked at Eamon and Eamon's looked at me before he's gone in the ring and I said, one thing, son, do not get cut. That's great. And Eamon said, why is that? I said, because I don't like, I don't like blood. <laughs> he looked at me and said, like, you're a trainer. You're in my corner. You don't like blood. And he had to fight. <laughs> and at the end of the fifth round, I think it was, Eamon said, how am I doing? And I went, I haven't got a clue, mate. Just go and bash him up. <laughs> and, he, and he won on points. It was, it was brilliant. I'm the only trainer in the world. I, I call myself a trainer. I'm not a trainer. But I'm the only man in the world that is undefeated in the corner. I've had three visits, two Eamon Lofren and one Francis Ampufu. They've all won, and I swear I'd never do it again because I'm not going to put my undefeated <laughs> at the risk. Yeah, bow at the top. <laughs> um, can I ask you about, you were talking there about against Boucher, you know, finding punching at your level, finding the guys that are at your level, but what about punching up? Can you, can you both uh, detail your recollections of Eamon's fight with Herbie Hyde? What went down? What happened? <laughs> well, in the gym. Yeah. Basically, it's, it's typical. Herbie Hyde was a bully, a terrible bully. He used to love beating people up. He wasn't, he wasn't pleasant. I mean, I told him to his face, he's a bully. Uh, he used to hit sparring partners in the back of the head and they went back at the end of the round, things like that. And he decided he wanted to have a move round with Raymond, who's a welterweight, you know, and he's, you know, he's a standard welterweight. And he took, Herbie took liberties. You know, he's a bigger man. The idea when you you can you can spar with anybody if both sides agree the rules of conduct. You know, because you're moving around, you're just getting fit. And he took a liberty with Lofren. He bashed him up a couple of times because of his size. And Eamon, as Eamon always said, Eamon, he's a nasty bit of work as well inside. In those days, he was a firebrand. I was really wanted. He wanted to kill him, not just. Bash him up. 
And Eamon just, he just left the gym. He flew out. Mm-hmm. And he came back, and I, and I see something in his eyes that wasn't good. Eamon was focused like that. This bloke had taken a liberty, and I'm going to do it. And he came back, and I won't go into as many details as Eamon might, but I met Eamon outside the gym as he was coming back to sort out her behind, one way or the other. And we had a little frank exchange about, Eamon, this is your career at stake here. Calm down, calm down. And it took five minutes before his eyes started to go back because he was focused on doing some serious damage. And I'm not saying I saved the situation. I'm saying he saw sense eventually. But he was on a very tight fuse. And Herbie, I probably to this day, doesn't know how lucky he was to get out of that gym in one bit. Uh, I'll, I'll give a wee bit to it too. Yeah, Barry, Barry saved the situation, so he did. There's no doubt, no doubt about it. If, if Barry hadn't came around the corner at that time, I had seen the red mist. And I, I probably probably one of the only times in my life that I'd got yeah. to that angle because he, he had given me a good clout, so hard. He'd hit me so hard a few times, so hard. I'd got one or two into him, but it wasn't, you know, I was there was four stone a difference, so there was. And, uh, and I mean, there was no need for it, so there wasn't. And uh, Barry calmed the situation down by, I think he, I think he sent me. He actually it was more than five minutes, so it was Barry. It was probably got of an hour talking to you, so it was. <laughs> and uh, he had sent me up round the shops, so he did, and he'd give me a few pounds. He says, "Go and buy yourself a lovely suit," and that was the way. And they sent Herbie home, so he did. But the the thing that came out of it after it was when Herbie came back on a Monday or a Tuesday. He was very, very pleasant, and we'd all camp away down. That, that, that had gone to another level, but uh, the camp down she had, and he was very, very. From that day onwards, he always respected me. He was always nice. He was always mannered to me, and he never once took advantage again. So he didn't. So that maybe had to happen. So it didn't no, he was he he was frightened of you. you <laughs> see, he saw he no seriously. I mean, he's he's fifteen stone. No, he's four and a half stone bigger than you, and a lot bigger physically. But Herbie was, you know, he was a, a, on top fighter, basically. Mm-hmm. He saw something in you that he couldn't handle. It's a terrible thing. It's not It's not about your size. It's not about the size of the dog. It's about the size of the fight in the dog. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it doesn't matter whether you're big or small. You just know in your heart of hearts, I don't want to fall out with this fella again. And he, <laughs> I think you frightened him. I think you frightened him, and he sat in a night. You know, it wasn't a bad thing, and you get on ever so well now. But certain people, I, I listen. I've, I've met people in my life who are various shades of people, different circumstances, obviously, and some of them are notorious bad people. They, they some of them like boxing, don't they? They love to come to the boxing. And very much. As a, very you know, I don't give a monkey if they're a bad person or a good person. They buy a ticket. They're entitled to come to boxing. I, I don't get involved. But I've seen massive people that don't frighten anybody. And I've seen little people that you look in their eyes and you know this is not one for Messi. You know, it's a funny world. It doesn't matter. Yeah, Yeah. We do see some characters, though, don't we? I mean, around the place. That's boxing very much so, you know, and I've came away from it quite a bit now, so I have. 
uh, apart from training myself and I have a couple of lads. And one of the things, somebody asked me what would I like to do now that I'm 50 now and I'm in, I'm in good shape. So I'll, what I'd love to do, Barry, and I say is I would love to un, un, unveil that next diamond in, in Northern yeah. Ireland or Carolina. Yeah. I would love to go through that show again as a coach or a mentor yeah. to this kid, wherever the kid is. And that's what I'm looking for at the moment. And I would like Eddie to be involved. You know, you just yeah. the, the process because one of the things I'm, I admire at the moment, and I sit back and I've watched Eddie, what a guy. What a yeah. guy. You've got, to be, you've got to be so proud of Eddie. Because yeah, yeah. he, I, I, I just can't believe the way he's up the game. He's moved oh. it up two or three levels. He's, he's amazing. So he yeah. is, you know. Well, like, you're always proud of your kids, aren't you? But you're right about that journey. You know, in a way, Eamon, if you can find, and it's a long journey, it's no shortcuts, are there? So if you can find someone in Ireland that gets a good amateur pedigree, maybe goes to the Olympics or something like that, you need that level because because of the level you've reached, you're not going to be satisfied with someone winning a six-rounder as his best performance. You're going to want someone who's got potential. And he's... It's few and far between, which is why you have to keep looking, keep looking. I mean, Eddie's got a choice of every fighter in the world because he's head and shoulders above any other promoter, including me, by the way. You know, it's, it's another level now, social media, the money that comes in at the top end. I mean, when we're talking about negotiating with the Saudis or Fury against Joshua, I mean, this is not millions. This is not tens of millions. This is hundreds of millions. Wow. See how the world has changed. The world, hundreds of millions. One night, you know, Joshua's fight against Ruiz, the last one, was the biggest grossing money heavyweight title fight of all time. Of all time. So forget Lewis against Tyson. Forget Dempsey. Forget, you know... The biggest of all time. So what's happened in boxing is the top's got bigger, the small is ticking over a bit better, the middle is difficult. So if you can find someone that's got a good amateur pedigree and more importantly is the right type of person, because kids today are not as tough as they were in your day or in my day, they were nowhere near as tough today, physically tough as they were in my day, because we was all skinned. You know, we had to kill someone to put bread on the table. You came over to Ireland with one fixation, make money. Make money. I want to change my life through boxing. And it worked. But today, it's more and more difficult getting that type of kid. But when you've got them, if you look after them, you will enjoy that journey more than your own career because it's very fulfilling. Mm -hmm. Whoops. Well, that, that's the next thing I would love to do, boys, is, is get yeah. involved with again, so do, but... Uh, you just no, got to get lucky. You've got to find the right kid. That's it. It's, it's luck, and, and they have to want it more than you do. And they, to, they have to want it as much as you have to want it, and they have to do as they're told, and they have to learn with you. If you look at something like McCracken and Joshua, the relationship they've got, it's brilliant, you know? Yeah. And they've been on that long journey. Eamon, to bring it back to your own career, and you uh, and you did win the world title in October 1993. You got the WBO welterweight title. How how would you characterise your reign, or what what do you, what stands out? You you won. You beat the Lorenzo Smith. I think he was a substitute opponent uh, for the vacant title at the Kings Hall. And how did it feel to finally, or how did it feel to win the world championship at the time? It was 
listen, my my ambition was to win a, a professional title. You know, where I'd come from, and I'd come from a gym full of champions, world champions and European champions in Belfast, Barney Eastwood's gym. But I had two ambitions, and one was to win a, a title, and then also was to, to get my own house out of boxing. I had achieved both of them and, and a lot, lot more. And winning the WBO title just moved the level up another level, so it did. Plus, it, and you know, in fairness, the, the paydays were better then, so as you know, you, you were getting, you were in the big yeah. money then, so the good money, so you were. And that that opened it up for me, you know, I had five successful defences, so I had. And I was I was loving it, so it was. I enjoyed every moment of it. But, you know, probably the biggest night was was winning the Commonwealth title. But that, that opened up the door. That left me there, as I think I was ranked number one for the WBO title. So, and I was supposed to fight uh, Danny Sky, and he pulled out at, with four or five weeks to go. So they, they replaced him with, a, I think it was the number two, number three guy, yeah. uh, Andrew Smith. So that, you know, that opened up that there for me. And then after that, I made... Uh, a defence against the European champion Alexandro Duran, and had a few good defences so I had. So I was I was delighted. So it was it was a fantastic night in the King's Hall to get boxing in front of uh, my own crowd. I think it was about five to six thousand people there, which was good then for a wee town like Ballymena, wee rural town like Ballymena, to box in front of five or six thousand people in the the historical King's Hall in Belfast where McGuigan yeah. had boxed before me. Dear boy Macaulay, and for me to be able to say I topped the ball and won the WBO title in the King's Hall, it's just amazing. And we all, we all had a great party, and all the family, and all the friends, and Barry, and Freddie, and all his family were all there that night in the hotel. So it was from then on, and it was just great. So it was, you know. Did you feel that you produced your best form uh, en route to being a world champion, or during your time as a world champion? Probably, I, uh, I think. The Donovan Boucher was probably the best performance of my career. Uh, one of the things I learned was, and I don't know about Barry, th- what Barry thinks is here, the way in the night before, you got an opportunity then to eat. So you did between that and the fight. And looking back on that there, I, I don't see that as a good thing. I think, you know, if you if you do weigh in the night before, try not to eat so much leading up to the fight. So you know, uh, Because then you're just putting access. It's like, it's just putting weight on you, so it is really. It's not doing you any good. But I had a couple of good defences, so I had Lorenzo Smith. I was happy with that. And uh, well, that was the title fight. And then the first defence against Alexandre Duran. I think I boxed reasonably well that night. But I enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. So did Kevin. And uh, I knew it wasn't going to. Barry kept saying, Eamon, this is not going to last forever. So it's not. Uh, so really enjoy it now. And he obviously said, try and make as much as you can. You know, that was the advice he was saying. And, and I listened to that. That was my, my motive. So it was what Barry was saying to me. Yeah. All I wanted to do was, I just wanted to steal his bubble act because he always had more money in that bubble act than he had in his <laughs> bank account. You know? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. Uh, Barry, to take us back to the mid-90s, I'm watching a fight this morning, uh, Angela Beltre, the second fight. And um, it's, you know, it's his fifth world title defense and you'd imagine in in modern times that would be a massive fight uh it is live on itv and reg guttridge says uh, during the fight uh, about lochran he's still looking to make the big time even though he's already a world champion so yeah. what well the, the, the difference was in those days is of course those guys were so old-fashioned they didn't really i mean god bless them they were lovely people but in their mind, until you'd boxed in Vegas or Madison Square Gardens, that was what they called the big time. Of course, the truth of the matter is it wasn't really. It was okay if you were Roberto Duran or Sugar Ray Leonard or Thomas Hearns, but there was actually more money and more exposure coming on British fights because American fights were, as we've seen in America, you know, a lot of the the whole image of boxing in America has deteriorated, apart from the very top of the tree, the Mayweathers and the Deontay Wilders and all that. So what Reg Guthridge was meaning was he never, Reg was old school, so he never really gave a fighter credit until they'd been to America, because in his mindset, that was the promised land. The reality is there was better money in England than there was in America for Eamon Loughran. And we would have gone, by the way, I would have taken Loughran to the moon to fight, although they tell me the atmosphere is not much, but that's a joke. Uh, I would have taken him anywhere to maximise his money. I always just said to Eamon, we, we, Eamon didn't care. I could put him in a time capsule and I could take him anywhere, and he wouldn't care. He'd get out, he'd put his gloves on, he'd go and have a fight. And that yeah. was his attitude. His job is a professional fighter. My job was to make sure he got paid the most amount of money for the fights he was having. And we achieved that. But we never, I mean, it's, it's a fact. We never went to the really big shows in America like they do today, occasionally. And if Eamon was around today as a top welterweight, you know, you've got things like, well, I'll tell you what would be a great fight. It would be Kelbrook or, or, um, 
You know, Kilbrook, Kilbrook and Eamon Loughran would be a massive pay-per-view domestic world title today. I, I, I would agree with that, boy. And Amir Khan, either of those three of you would have been the versions of Eubank, Ben, Collins, Watson. It would be Loughran, Amir Khan, Kilbrook, thinking of another welterweight out there. But, you know... That little mixture is what creates the bubble of promotion, get people talking, I like him, I don't like him, that sort of feeling. And they want to see a fight. You know what you're going to get. You're going to get out of war, you know. I mean, that's the the sort of issues that's today. And that's what they meant in those times about the really big fights. Well, they didn't know because they were ignorant. People like Rich Guthrie didn't know about boxing, really. He knew about the nice left jab. And that's nothing to do with boxing. Boxing is about taking punishment, living the right life, and changing your life. End of story. Boxing is all about money. It is. Yeah. No, don't, if you start getting all pretty, pretty about it, all you end up doing is not remembering your own name and having your face smashed up. You know, you've got to look at it as a business, which is what we always try to do. Uh, that, that being said, Eamon, there was one star name, that American dream that, that you were chasing, and you wanted a fight with Pernell Whitaker at the time, and yeah. it didn't materialize. You ended up losing your fight against the Mexican, uh, Jose Luis Lopez. Uh, every boxer's nightmare, cock holding at one round in Liverpool. What do you, how, how frustrating was it, or how upsetting was it to see things go down the pan quickly? In a, it was it was frustrating at the time, so it was looking back. But uh, I was I was online to fight Pernell Whitaker. The other the other great fighter was Felix Trinidad. So there was there was they were two great Hall of Fame fighters. So they were, and probably in fairness, I would be honest about it. They were a level above me, and I didn't I wanted them, but I also wanted the big payday to fight them. So I did because you, you know if you're going to fight them, you need to be paid right. And then I had to fight the Mexican. He was the number one contender. But he also was a class act, so he was. Oh. And I couldn't, I couldn't get motivated for him, so I couldn't. I had a let young me, child about him. Let me, tell you about, let me tell you about a class act, maybe. Sorry. Now, and I'll tell you this, and I've told you this before. Mm-hmm. Jose Luis Lopez was the worst bit of matchmaking I ever did for you in your career. <laughs> Without that, I, I pride myself on being a professional. I never spent enough time looking at Lopez's record. Because when I looked at him, I got him. He effectively became number one, so he was the mandatory. So you've got to fight him anyway. Yeah. I looked at his record. He was something like 19 wins and three losses. Uh, it didn't seem to, you know, nothing sensational. If I'd have looked a bit closer, those three losses, I think he was 14 years old or something, 15 yeah. years old, you know. And then, of course, when he came over, he did a job on you. But I'll tell you this. In my career today of thousands and thousands of fighters, I believe Jose Luis Lopez was the best fighter I've ever seen. I mean, he was just your bad luck he ended up with you. This kid, if this kid had had a layman loft from brain or intelligence about his life, Oscar de la Hoya refused point blank at his prime to fight Jose Luis Lopez. Refused. He would not get in the ring with him. I put him in with Yuri Boy Compass, who was 63 wins and one loss. And Compass retired on his stool after five rounds in tears. He got such a shellacking. 
Mm-hmm. He drew, was it with Felix Trinidad? No, Ed, I caught him. And he didn't throw a bunch of six rounds because he was enjoying himself and he thought it was funny. He said, I'll just bash him. You, this kid, but of course, he didn't have a brain in his body. I made a mistake. He, when he fought Ike Wardy, I gave him $100,000 and I paid him in cash. Mm-hmm. I never saw him again. And, and he lived with me, the same as he was in the gym in Romford afterwards. He lived with us for a couple of years. The greatest fighter I have ever seen in training, the greatest puncher, the greatest combination, and unlucky, Amen. I've got him for you. So I owe you, yeah. But that's the, that was the level. But in those days, when you talk about, I, remember Pernell Whitaker? They were talking about paying you $100,000 to fight Pernell Whitaker. Mm. It's like, no, it's a million dollars. No, they wouldn't pay it. So there was more money over, he was getting a lot more than that in the UK at that time. Yeah. You know, but unfortunately, you walked into, and you know what, in a funny sort of way, I think you're blessed. I think, in a way, that was God saying, enough's enough, Amen. Seriously. I think you'd had your five or six defences. I think deep down, you were just beginning to fall out of love with boxing. Somehow. You you know, you'd got your money, you'd got your houses, you bought a little few businesses, and then there comes a stage where you want to see your family more, you don't really want to pay that price. And and that uh, alongside a great fire. It was it was at that time. Uh, my young boy, uh, my, that was my first child. He was six months old, and I didn't. I I just did not want to go and live in London. So I didn't at that well, time, or most of it. I didn't want to go. And I actually trained in Jerry Stories in Belfast for that. Yeah. And as I was coming out of the gym, I was going and looking at cars, and you know, I wasn't just no interest. It wasn't me. It wasn't. Yeah, and yeah. as you say, it probably was a blessing in the sense yeah. that it, if I had been. Listen, I always look back now and I think to myself, I had a train for six or eight weeks in a camp and really give it everything. And maybe give it really everything. I wonder, I probably would have went six or eight rounds with him and got beaten up for six or eight rounds. So I'll tell, tell you what, it would have been hell of a fight. It would have been hell of a fight, but not one that I would say was, uh, you know, wasn't good for your health. That, that, that boy, that boy was an animal, you know. He was, I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, I trained with him in the end myself because I couldn't get him to do anything you know he was he just wanted to smoke marijuana and he, you know he got stripped when he bought your boy compass he got stripped for marijuana use three months I brought him over to the uk for a year and i swear to you no one no one would have lived with him amen no one would have lived with him he was unbelievable he had no brain on the on the night he was fighting i course, he was on a skateboard outside in, 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 in Outside on New Jersey, and and as soon as he got paid, his eyes went a funny colour, and he went off surfing. And he found I found him about five years, six years later. He was boxing as a cruiserweight in Mexico, as a cruiserweight, and getting beat up for money. Mm-hmm. You know, now that, and I look at you, and I say, who won the fight? Who won that fight, really, Amy? Yeah. Who won that I, fight? I, I, who won that I, fight? I, that's one of the things I, I always say about boxing, professional boxing. You know, you have your ups and your downs, and that was probably one of the. But it was at the end, Barry. And as you said, I'm, I'm happy because it was time yeah. to retire. And uh, right. I came back. I came back after it, so I did, and I trained, so I did for about a year after it. And uh, I think I rung you, and I says, "Look, and you, uh, you, we were in contact, so we were, 
and he says, maybe, do you fancy another fight? I mean, let's keep it going. And uh, it was at that time of me training in a training camp. I was actually training and sparring with Steve Collins, so it was. Yes. And, uh, and I knew then that I was never going to make a comeback. That was me finished. I was happy. I was happy. And I was happy. And that was the thing, uh, you know, one of the things I learned from yourself is be happy and be contented and be positive. Yeah. You know, I never, I never look back at my career and look at that fight because that was one of the losses and only had two losses in 30 professional contests. Yeah, yeah. And I don't look back and focus on the two losses and think, oh, that, that annoys me or this or that. I look at the 28 wins and I look at all the, the great nights too, yeah. you know, that, that's more important. So it is, you know, the, you know, but yes, you have to talk about that. Well, obviously Kevin wants to, we have to talk about the losses, the one or two losses, but <laughs> the overall picture, that, that's what it's about. And that, you know, so but when, when you, when you, when you try and value fires, when you try and say, who's achieved what in their life, right? The, the boxing record is only part of that journey. It's a, it, and actually, as you get more reflective and older, it becomes a smaller part of that journey. Correct. Because you look around you and you say, and you start to question what's really important in life. You know, I'm at that stage now. What's really important? I love watching my kids do well. I love the fact I can, I can go like that to anybody. You know, I can just speak the truth. I don't give a shit, you know. I'm just going to tell it how it is. And if they don't like Baza, you know what? It ain't the end of my life. I'm just going to be me. And what you yeah. did was you were just you. And that's the greatest compliment. So when you look at the number of fires, if you say there's a 1,000 professional boxers at any one time, there's never more than that in the UK. Never more than a 1,000. Usually less. Out of that 1,000, if you looked at a career in a bigger picture of how it's changed your life, the fun you had, where you've gone on to, you would be comfortably in the top 2% of all fighters. And that is a bigger victory than any belt you put around your body. You know? Because one day, like we all know, one day it will be our time to say goodbye. And as they lay you out there, you're going to have some funny thoughts in your head, you know? And I think that's great because as you go through those pearly gates, all I want to see is that smile on your face. That's worth more than any of any big check in your bubble that, you know. And this, this here, boy, this is the this is the belt. So it is. So the, and you know, I mean, they're nice to have. They're nice ornaments. Oh, lovely! They're, they're lovely to pass on to the kids. So they are. But you know, as you say, there's other things. I mean, you go on in life that's more important. So it is. You know. But how good is it going to be when your grandchildren? I've got grandchildren now, four of them, right? The two girls think think I'm nuts, right? Because it's me, silly granddad. Yeah, but that's it. Beautiful. That's my the two boys. But how good it is when you can sit them in your lap and say, "All right, everyone, keep quiet." You press a little button and say, "That's me when I was winning the world title. That's me when I was doing that." Don't show them the losses. Well, we'll airbrush them out of it. Just showing you, you know? <laughs> and it's, you know, for a kid to look up at their granddad like that, or their dad, I look at my son and I know that I am his hero in a funny way. I mean, he's my hero as well. But the relationship there, and you want your grandchildren to look at you with awe, and you've done something that most human beings don't do. So you deserve that applause. Just soak it up, mate. And do what I do. I tell lies all the time. Tell them how great I was at everything. Because now I'm so old, no one can remember. Most of the people that could criticise me are dead. 
Barry, I have the same, similar, a similar relationship with my son that you have with Eddie. And he looks up to me. As my, he looks up to me, and it's the sexy. And although my granddaughter sees the most important thing, my wee granddaughter, yeah. she's only two than she has, and I love her to bet so do. But my son's six foot five, you know, oh. and I'm five foot, five foot eight. So, um, you know, he plays soccer, so he doesn't, uh, he plays everything oh. soccer at his level in this country. What age is he now, Eamon? 24, so he is. 24. Uh, six foot five. Hey, I'll tell you what, Eamon. Look out for a tall milkman. There's something gone wrong there, mate. <laughs> 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 I've asked that question. <laughs> it's like with Eddie. He's so big. I can't. He's 18 and a half stone, Eamon. I can't. I can't push him around. I mean, even when he was the last person, I mean, Eamon knows the story. The last person, I, I mean, I wasn't a great. I wasn't. I, I was terrible at fight. The last person I went in a ring with, I was 44, and it was Eddie. And we had. We're supposed to have three proper rounds, two-minute rounds, but he dropped me twice in the second round, and I never, I never put the gloves on again from 44 years old. But there's not a day goes by when I think, I look at things like Eamon Loughran on the bag, and I go past the bag myself, or you know, you think, you know, I could still have a little tear-up at 72, which is stupid, because obviously I can't be the wife. I couldn't, couldn't be the wife, let alone anybody else. <laughs> Yeah. Eamon, Eamon, you held up that WBO belt a few minutes ago, but a couple of Irish fighters uh, challenged for it in the years that went by. Michael Carruth in 97, uh, unsuccessful, and uh, Neil Sinclair in 2000 as well was unsuccessful. Uh, they both gave it a go. It's since been held by the likes of Antonio Margarito, Paul Williams, Miguel Cotto, Pacquiao, Bradley Mayweather, and now the current holder is Terence Crawford. So that's the sort of comp- that's the sort of lineage of the belt that you held up there for us. Um, yeah, uh, you know, fantastic. Uh, there's a fantastic history with it. So it is, and it, uh, you know, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful achievement to be to be recognised with those guys in that line of 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 champions. And you know, Sinclair was a fantastic fighter. So he was an unbelievable fighter, a great puncher. So he was, you know, right, uh, puncher. a great, fantastic lad. So he was, and. Michael Cruz, I think he was more suited to the amateur side of the box, and so it was. But he gave it a good go, so he did uh, coming into the professional side late. He had the Olympic gold medalist, first Irish guy to win an Olympic gold medalist. But I, I'm the one that's got it, so I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I was a WBO champion, so I can live with that for the rest of my life. As Muhammad Ali says, train hard now and live the rest of your life as a champion. So I have that, so I have, you know, and I'm very proud that Barry was a big part of it, so it was. That I stuck with the matchroom, that he was loyal to to me, him and Freddie, and I was loyal to him. Um, to this day, it's maybe it's thirty years since I or twenty five years since I boxed. I still have a great. You can see it. We have a great friendship. We have a great relationship. There was never any real ball. We had ups and downs, but we we sorted them out. So we did, and that that's something that I'm very proud of to this day. So um, you know, when people, you know, when you look at boxers in general, there's a lot of them fall out with their managers or have uh, drift apart and don't uh, I've never, me and Barry have always got on well so we have, I, I met him at Freddie's funeral, I met him at uh, Freddie's 60th birthday and we just had a half so we did you know so, it was yeah, great yeah. So it was, Listen, it should be but when you go back over a lot of successful fighters careers, it's no surprise if someone flits from one trainer to another trainer to a one promoter to another manager 
they never seem to really achieve there's always going to be exceptions but they generally show that they're not focusing on what they do best, which is boxing they get involved with other things and where you were you were you were although you were hot-headed and you could hold your own you were always focused on just doing your job and then you let us do our job and there was a respect and if you go back over the career of boxers and you go back to Castamato, you go back to you know angelo dundee you go back to eddie futch you know you're talking about great trainers the fighters had relationships with you throughout their career and after because there is a bond that gets that develops you know and it's a two-way street you know there's i don't there are some fighters that i've promoted that i probably wouldn't want to I, w- I wouldn't do an hour talking to them like this amen you know there's other fighters you and a few other hand chosen people that i would spend and if you needed something you know there's a phone call and there's someone there and if i was in ireland i needed something i know you know if i want to get beat on a golf course i can come and if i want to buy you that dinner i promise you when you make a sub three hour marathon you know well, i'll be there that's what, yeah, that's but, that, that, but that that speaks volumes for who we are as people you know yeah. we're basically both of us we're good people you know, I know it's a, no one needs, no one likes to say that about himself. I tell you what, we're good people. And that's <laughs> why we have it. We we're working class, good, honest, God-fearing people, and that probably is the best epitaph we could have, not only to this conversation but to our lives. Yeah, that's it. You know, just be good people, and that—that's one of the things we've learned from you, from being in your company every time. You know, just. Just treat people the way you would like to be treated. Oh, you know what I mean? Sure. That's, and by the way, it goes the other way, Amen, doesn't it? If we find yeah. someone that we don't like that, we're not we're not shy. We're not gonna give up ground. We're not gonna go backwards. We'll confront anything we have to confront. We don't want to, but we won't let anyone take the piss out of us, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> lads on that note we might wrap it up for today you've been both being so generous with your time so thank you so much Eamon Lochran and Barry Hearn for joining us today on the Rocky Road Rewind it's been a pleasure thank you